0: turn to the book of Ecclesiastes as we continue in our journey through this evangelistic book of the Old Testament. Our text this morning will be the end of chapter 3 from verses 16 and on to chapter 4's end at verse 16. If you would stand with me and hear now the word of the living God. His word that is sufficient, authoritative, and completely true. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, beginning at verse 16. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness even there was wickedness. for all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward or the spirit of beast goes down to the earth? So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed And they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought of the dead who were already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been, and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Then I saw that all toil and all skill in work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity. And a striving after wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. Again I saw vanity under the sun, one person who has no other, either son or brother. Yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches. So that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? is not easily broken. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a striving after wind. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We pray, O Lord, that you would apply it to our hearts, that we might see the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Please be seated. Have you ever wondered about diseases and ailments that aren't really real perhaps some of you children have experienced something called brain freeze when you eat a little bit too much ice cream quickly now your your brain doesn't literally freeze but that's what we call it or perhaps your foot or your arm have fallen asleep that's an interesting thing because limbs aren't ever awake there are two other kinds of things perhaps you've had heartburn which, of course, has absolutely nothing to do with your heart. Or perhaps you've had something a bit more serious called heartache, which also is not a medical condition, but it surely is felt. And there's a major difference between heartburn and heartache, isn't there? It's that the one heartburn can be cured within a few hours to a day with any number. Medicines, tablets, pills, plop, plop, fizz, fizz. But with heartache, there is no quick fix. There is no pill we can drop in a glass of water that makes heartache go away. You see, heartache is a part of what we have talked about in the human condition of seeking after God and only finding rest in God. Outside of God, all there is, is heartache. For the one who is not in Jesus Christ, that's all he experiences day after day. But even for those who are known to the Lord Jesus Christ, who have grasped him by faith, we can still be gripped by heartache. And so Solomon is going to describe for us some of the main ways in which heartache affects us. And he's going to give us his prescription. And so what I would like us to see this morning briefly are four types of heartache. The heartache of injustice the heartache of the rat race, the heartache of loneliness, and then finally, the heartache of power. Four different kinds of heartache. Heartache that are personal, heartache that are interpersonal. But for all of them, there is but one prescription. Let us look then first at the heartache of injustice as we look at chapter 3 and verse 16. There is a problem in the world, and Solomon takes a good amount of time to talk about it, from verse 16 of chapter 3 all the way through to verse 3 of chapter 4. The problem is that there is injustice in the world. You don't need to subscribe to cable and watch CNN 18 hours a day or Fox News to know that there's injustice in the world. You don't even need to read a newspaper. Injustice comes before our eyes all the time. It is the view that we see under the sun. Look again at verse 16. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness even there was wickedness. You see, injustice is an unsolvable problem of the human condition. How many of you throughout your lives have watched political events unfold, especially in foreign countries? where there is injustice, and the people rise up, sure that as soon as they get rid of a certain leader, things will be so much better, and injustice will be gone forever. Perhaps some of you are old enough to know about Cuba, and how that land was beset with injustice by a dictator by the name of Batista. And of course, he has been replaced by one of the most wicked men in this century, Fidel Castro. And there is no guarantee that when Fidel Castro meets his end, that there will be justice in that land. You see, it's not about a person. It's not about a government. It is about a human condition. There is injustice in the world. And when we see this injustice, it brings to us a sense of hopelessness. You see, life is full of pain and sorrow. We look around us and we see abuse of children. And if you're like me, when you hear a story, you vacillate between shaking your head in despair and seething anger that this goes on. Perhaps you look out and see poverty in our nation and abroad. You're up late one night and there are pictures from India or from Africa. And you see children who do not have enough food. And yet, You walk by a restaurant where food is thrown away because people don't finish it or they decide they don't like the way it looks. Perhaps you have seen injustice in poverty here and throughout the world. We see it everywhere. Perhaps you, like me, are outraged at the injustice that even now there are small, tiny children, so small they cannot cry for help, that are living their last minutes and hours upon this earth because of the scourge of abortion in our land. This is injustice, and it makes us angry, and it can make us at times hopeless. You see, part of the problem is, it's what Solomon says in verse 16. It's not just that there's injustice in the world, it's we expect justice, and instead we get injustice. You might think of it this way. You're out mowing the lawn one nice incredibly hot, late July day in Houston. And you mow the lawn, and you're sweating profusely. For some reason, you didn't get to the lawn until about 11.30. Guys, kids, ladies. And you go inside, and you are just needing to quench your thirst. And you are so thirsty, and you grab yourself, oh, ice cold glass of iced tea. Ice up to the brim. poured in. And you go, and you take the sugar and you pour the sugar in and you stir it up and you're all set to go and you take a huge gulp but there's only one problem there's salt not sugar ow it's worse than having nothing at all isn't it it's because you expected refreshing good iced tea and instead you get bitterness and despair that's what injustice is like We see injustice, too, because it seems like the end for everyone is the same. From dust to dust we go, right? It's as those great philosophers, Kansas said, all we are is dust in the wind, right? It seems that everywhere we look, everything is fading. Rich and poor, good and wicked. What's the reason for this injustice? Well, the irony is that it's because of our sin, why do I say the irony? It's because man, in his attempt to live without God, has brought about his own misery and sorrow. You notice that Solomon says that we're like the beasts? You might think of it this way as an irony on the book of Genesis. Man, in his attempt to be like God, has made it so he dies like a cow. He thinks he can be God, and all he brings upon himself is the death of dogs, cats, and cattle. This is what we see. And this is the human condition. Well, what's the solution for this? The solution for this, Solomon says in verse 16, is to point out that God exists. You say, verse 16, I don't see anything there. How can man say there is no justice in the world unless he knows that there is a concept of justice? Right? How can he say things are wrong with the way they are unless he knows there is a right that it should be? You see, it's only in God, even the unbeliever can look and say, things aren't right here. How much more so for the Christian? Things are not right because God exists. And because God exists, that means that we have hope. That this is not the way things are supposed to be. This is not the end of all things. There is hope in the midst of injustice. And as Solomon says, I said in my heart that God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time for every matter and every work. You see, God is there to judge, finally. There is hope that injustice will end in the judgment of God. And that man's similarity to beasts will end. The psalmist says in Psalm 49, in verse 15, he speaks after he's talked about the difficulties of life and the similarity that man has with beasts. Verse 15 and verse 20 offers to us our hope as believers in Christ. For you see... Verse 20 says, man in his pomp is yet without understanding. And he is like the beasts that perish. You see, the irony is, is that outside of God, we don't know the real difference between us and the beasts. But to the man of God, verse 15, he cries out, but God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, the grave. He will receive me. You see, in God, we see that there is hope and that there is an end to injustice. This is the heartache of injustice. But then Solomon goes on in chapter 4 and verse 4, and he talks about the heartache of the rat race. He says, I saw in all toil and all skill that all of these come from a man's envy of his neighbor. So the first part of the problem is being a rat in the rat race. The Hebrew here is actually quite ambiguous, and it's a good thing. You see, we can say that work comes from envy. I'm envious, therefore I work and work and work and work. Or we can say that work produces envy. I see what other people have because they work, and I become envious. And both are true. They're just different rungs on the ladder of the rat race. They drive us on more and more and more. And Solomon has talked about work, hasn't he? It starts here in verse 4 with ambition. But you remember in chapter 2, he said it's limited by folly. It's foolishness. I work and I save and I get, and who do I leave it to? Somebody that wastes it. In chapter 5, in verse 15, he says it actually results in nothing. He says, naked from the womb I came, naked I will go. This is work, starting with ambition Punished by folly, ending up in nothing. He says that all of our work, in some sense, outside of God, is a craving to either outshine someone else or to not be outshone ourselves. This is work and heartache and toil of the rat race. You're all probably thinking in your minds right now of others you know. Perhaps there are men you know who never got to see... Their children, their marriages ended in horrible divorces because they were bound up in their work and running in the rat race. The problem is is that the rat race exists in the church as well. And we need to be reminded of that. Because if what we are about to embark on in putting a permanent facility in the community of Katy is an attempt to outshine First Baptist or Cornerstone or any other church or an attempt to not be outshone by them, to be just a little bit bigger than they are, just a little bit better than they are, then God will not be in it. You see, it's not about the rat race. It's about seeking God and His goodness. Well, it's not just an option either to opt out of the rat race. You may say, well, you know, that's... I don't want to get caught up in the rat race. I'm just going to let it all hang out. I'm not going to get caught up in this work thing. I'm going to relax. I'll just work at Denny's or McDonald's or pump gas. And I won't do anything. I'll just relax. Solomon has a word for you as well. He says, the fool folds his hands. That's the biblical picture of idleness. And he consumes his own flesh. You see, opting out isn't an option either. Because when you're lazy... You're just taking a different approach to the rat race. You're still in it. You're gonna get passed behind. Laziness is not an option. There is no excuse. So especially you young people that are now thinking about college, thinking about jobs, and you're looking and seeing those that are just a little bit older than you and saying, wow, I don't want to get caught up in that. Be careful. You don't want to swing too far the other way into laziness. You also don't want to get caught in a rut. Look at verse 7. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches. You see, this man is in a rut in the rat race. Even if he's made it, he doesn't think he's made it. He's got to keep going and going and going and going. It's like some kind of perverse, wicked, energizer bunny cannot stop. And what happens? He's a man with no relationships. Look, he has no other. He has no friends. And he has no close relatives. He has no son, no brother. He has no one to enjoy life with. He has no one to leave his life's work to. You see, his loneliness is a result of his heartache in the rat race. Next pop culture reference. Some of you will know this immediately. This is the story of yes, the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon. When you come home, dad, I don't know when, but we'll get together then. Okay, that's a piece of bad poetry and but parents. You've heard it said before, but I'll say it again to you. No one's ever going to say on their deathbed, I really wish I'd had a chance to double proof that memo or send that email. Or I really wish corporate profits would have been 6.2% instead of 5.9%. Now, we're not going to be lazy. We're not going to fold our hands. But relationships are critical and important. And the solution for this Solomon provides. He says, better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil. And a striving after wind. I want you to get the biblical picture here where it says the fool folds his hands. It's literally referring to hands. When it says here a handful of quietness, it isn't the word for hand, it's a word for handful. It's the word for your palm like this palms out. And what Solomon says is seek wisdom, don't be lazy. Seek after goodness, but don't be greedy. Don't let it obsess you that you have two hands out at all times. Better a handful of quietness than two hands out with strife and with struggle. Have modest demands. There's an immediate application to this to the Christian. There is a reason that the Lord has given you this day, a day in which you can rest. You might be able to not rest on the Lord's day. And your business might be better. Or income might go up. You might get some overtime. Hey, double time. It's Sunday. But you see, the Lord has made you to rest. The Lord has made you for himself. Not for the dollar. Not for the house. Not for the 401k. You are built, God says. Genesis 2. To take a day off, to leave behind the worries and the cares. This is what the scripture teaches. So don't get caught up in the heartache of the rat race. But then we see next the heartache of loneliness in verse 9. Look at what he says. You've probably heard this read at one wedding or another Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. But this is not just about marriage, although I think it's applicable there. It's about all of our relationships. We are built for relationship. You've heard the famous line, man is not an island, and it's true. You weren't built to go build a pole 30 feet up in the air and go live on it. We're built for relationship. That's why the Lord, after he made Adam, made Eve. Man is not built for solitude. And you see there are risks that befall us in this world. Look here at verses 9 10 or excuse me uh, 10 11 and 12. He uses traveling imagery. I want you to picture someone who would be used to going from city to city on foot. And he says in verse 10 basically you could fall down. There might be a pit you'd fall in. You've heard the famous commercial help I fall in and I can't get up. And what's the solution to that? Some little beeper that does what? Call someone to help you. It's just common sense, right? But that's what the scripture teaches. You don't want to be out there on your own. What happens if you fall? There's difficulties in life and it's not just a literal pit you could fall in. How many of us have fallen into slips of judgment You're about to do something that's a real boneheaded maneuver. And your spouse says, did you think about that? Or your friend comes up alongside you and he says, I tried that about five years ago. You might want to rethink that. It's in large sense what the principle of the church is about. It's in large sense what all of church discipline is about. Someone coming alongside you. Not to set up a trial and recorders. It's someone to come alongside you and say, Listen, brother, sister, you're headed down the wrong path. Please see what the scripture says. You don't want to fall into that pit. We do this all the time. We have a saying for it, don't we? We want to take an idea and bounce it off you. right? Even though we think we know the answer. Verse 11 gives us another item. If you're cold, how can you keep warm by yourself? You see, in cold nights, the travelers would go, and they would sleep back to back, and then they would put both of their cloaks over them so they'd get double blankets. It would be a way to keep warm. But it's not just about physical warmth. Think of it in terms of grief. How much harder is it to grieve when there's not someone there? To just even sit with you. They don't even have to say it's all right or it'll be all right. They just be with you. How could you go it alone? Well, there's a third item here, and that is an attack of bandits. And Solomon says, one has an exposed back, but two, two can defend each other. And he uses this proverbial saying, a 3 cord, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. And we immediately think of marriage. A man and a woman... And the third cord is what? The Lord Jesus Christ. We could also think of it in the way in which children bind together a family. Or at least the way in which they should in our society. This is the problem. But what is the solution here? The solution is to be in relationships that the God God of heaven has given to us. You see the benefits? The benefits here are joint to both. There is security in both. This threefold cord is not broken. Now, I want you to think about something, though. What do you have to give up if you have a second person? You have to give up independence, don't you? You may not be able to pick where you lie so that you can keep warm. You may not be able to pick where you get to make your stand against your enemies. You may not be able to pick all the time the road in which you should go. You have to give up some independence. Now, think about this not on a horizontal plane, but on a vertical plane. You see, we are made for relationship not just with each other, but with God. We must give up our independence for safety, protection, meaning, and comfort. If you try and find it apart from God, you will find pits, coldness, and danger. Solomon is inviting you To be in relationship with the living God, the one who protects us at all times. Only there is meaning found. Well, there's a heartache not only of injustice, and not only of rat race, and not only of loneliness. These three things have something in common. They're all sort of bad things. We don't like injustice, we don't like to be overworked, we don't like to be lonely. And then Solomon closes this picture here. And as he does so often, he pokes us right where it counts. He says, you know, what else is heartache? Success. Power. Ability. Good things. In our modern American dream mentality, we might say, the heartache of winning the lottery. You've heard those stories about the curse of the lottery? It's the man who has all that life has to give. He's independent. He's powerful. He's capable. But he sees that there's heartache. What's the problem? He says, Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For though he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been poor, I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. What is he saying here? Well, in short, he's saying that life of popularity and power is short-lived. You see, there's a problem. One of the problems is the stubbornness of being out of touch. We have everything we need, and it puts us out of touch with what got us there in the first place. You see this all the time. It's the theme of about nearly every sports movie, right? Rocky's got to get back the eye of the tiger, right? He's gotten fat and lazy. But it doesn't just happen in make-believe. It happens in real life, too. You see, that's one of the stories of Israel. That Israel waxed fat, the Bible says. And because of it, they forgot about God. That's a warning To you and to me, we live in the wealthiest nation that has ever existed. We live in a wonderful city. We have a vibrant church. We are about, Lord, willing to embark upon building a building. Everything is going right. And the scripture says, don't take that for granted. Don't stop listening to advice. And the advice that should be listened to is the advice of the scriptures and of God. It's the advice of your best friend, the one who keeps you from loneliness, the one who keeps you out of the rat race, the one who shows that even in the face of the gravest injustice of all time, the innocent death of God on the cross, that there is meaning, there is hope, there is blessing. This is the solution. You see, because even the youth will see, as everyone teams around him, You see, Solomon gives us this picture of the old king on his way out and the new up-and-coming, rising young man. And he says, they're all flocking to him now, but you know what? Surely those who come later won't rejoice in him. His day will come too. He'll be old again someday. You see, only God is faithful. Your friends will desert you. Your job will change, your home may burn down, but only God is faithful ever, all the time. And that needs to remind us that only God's opinion matters, truly. And that opinion is found in the promises of our Lord Jesus Christ, where every promise is yes and amen. So if today, as you go home, you feel a little twinge of heartache and you're tempted to try and find an Alka-Seltzer or a Rolaids to cure the heartache of the job you're going to go back to tomorrow, or the loneliness that you feel because your children live a few hundred miles away, or perhaps the injustice that you read about in a magazine, or perhaps even You see others trying to nudge you out from where you are as they push their way into your spot. There is a solution for this, Solomon says, and there's only one, and it is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is to focus upon the Lord and to see the blessings come from Him and to be in relationship with Him and to find meaning with Him. Can you see why this is the perfect book to take to a world that is caught up in itself and can't find meaning. It's a timeless book. It's a book Solomon couldn't have written, but that the Holy Spirit inspired him. So let us take this word into our lives this week and seek to find the Lord Jesus Christ in all of our difficulties. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have blessed us with this word. Oh, Lord, you are so good to us. And we ask that you would grant us the faith that we need to seek you daily in all of our difficulties. We ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.